0: Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 392. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Kat Stancic. Kat is a master profit accelerator and business coach from Action Incubator. Kat, I am so happy that you're here to join us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you. And you're welcome. I would love if you would provide the listeners with a bit of a
1: backstory telling them and me how you got to where you are today. Oh, well, I guess I was born with a certain level of determination. I'm an entrepreneur through and through, and I think I was actually literally born that way because of all the things that I've had to overcome and the things that I've experienced. There's nothing that would actually really point to the fact that it would make me a thriver, right? A lot of us have things happen to us and we stay in in victimhood and things like that but there was something else about me and I knew that there was an impact that I wanted to have and so no matter what I experienced and what I went through even with bad jobs and things like that I knew that there was always something bigger and better for me so that's how I had the corporate job I had the six figure salary I had everything going but it wasn't enough So I did what I do, which is I hired a life coach. I'm a more specific business coach, but I hired a life coach to help me figure out what my passion was because I couldn't figure it out on my own. (laughs) So through that process, I figured it out with coaching hundreds of different clients. Really found my niche in terms of business coaching and helping people accelerate their profits a lot faster than they could on their own. And haven't looked back ever since. In an earlier episode, I can't remember
0: which one right now. Actually, it's come up quite a few times that our mess makes our message. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that I didn't know that I didn't know Mm. what I wanted to do until there was a big mess and I was sweeping out the pieces and I realized this is not what's making me happy. Yeah, I was an interior architect for 10 years And lost my job and ended up rolling burritos at Chipotle. I was kicked off the line because my burritos wouldn't stay together. And that was easily my worst job, but my best job, if that makes any sense. It was exhausting, but the food was incredible. Listeners, if you're ever struggling, just to let you know, Chipotle gives you, if they'd still do it, a free meal every shift. Mm. Would you believe I lost weight working there, though? That's how hard you work? Oh, wow. There.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't stop. It's no joke. I guess that's technically considered blue collar work. It's no joke, right? Like having those J-O-Bs where you're having to be physically active and you're not behind a computer all day. I actually see my, my husband's nanny lives with us and he was a postal clerk and then he became a line cook and the toll that his body has to go through to be able to do that. And you think, oh, you just have to walk all day. Yeah, but you're walking like 40, 50 miles a day. Yep. You don't realize how lucky you are to be able to have a job where you get to be indoors and sit down. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really a blessing. And when you can look at everything that you have in your life as a blessing, you're really able to achieve a lot more.
0: I have never asked this on the podcast before. Listeners, you know, I never know where an episode is going to go. What was your worst job before becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Everything. (laughs) Everything. So what people actually don't know, and I haven't shared this, I don't think ever publicly, is that I've actually been fired technically so that I could spin it either as not being fired or as having been fired three times. And I'm a high achiever. So Mm -hmm. that takes a big old one-two punch to my ego. Yeah. But I was an accountant and that was my first, first, first job out of college. It's not even on my resume (laughs) because I was only there for a month and i got fired from there and then i think that there's a lot of worse in college i was a receptionist a front guest receptionist person at the red roof inn and that was that was bad interesting
0: <laughs> i can imagine it would be bad and also
1: just eyebrow race. it was in times. burlington north carolina like <laughs> talk about bad and then making it worse it was uh-huh. the sticks like the stories that I have of what people tried to pull and just people are gross. Let's just establish that. Yeah. People are nasty creatures for the most part. (laughs) Didn't help with my germophobia kind of stuff to see kind of the things that came in.
0: Yeah. I had to live with three-year-old twins and a four-year-old and then two teenagers. Mm. So their germs are enough, right? And their messes are enough, but having to deal with hotel yeah. yeah. And I don't care if it's the shady motel down the street in my town or a five-star hotel, I'm sure it it's
1: still yeah, wherever, yeah. People have unique personal hygiene mm-hmm. things. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like uh, in New York where they had a lot of problems with littering and graffiti and all that and they know there was an analysis that when they clean the graffiti and they were consistent about keeping it, people actually respected it more and didn't dirty the place. But once one person puts graffiti on it, then everybody else is like, oh, OK, this isn't something that's worthwhile. So I'm going to trash it, too. So it's that same kind of mental thought, which is, oh, this is just a motel. So it doesn't matter if I do these gross, disgusting things because it's already gross and disgusting. People don't necessarily do that at five-star hotels. It's not to say they don't do it, but it's not as often.
0: Right. Wow. (laughs) Actually, that would explain the drawings
1: all over the walls in my house. Mm, Yeah. I mean, twins, man, they don't care.
0: No. And then (laughs) they find the green Sharpie markers and color on their own faces because the walls are all colored already. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh, you were an accountant. My parents were both accountants. Yeah. My mom growing up, got bless her, she's still alive. But she's like, You should be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, because she had the money mentality. I knew there was no way that I wanted to look at numbers all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazingly, I look at numbers all day now. I mean just marketing. But they're your choice. And yeah, right? they are. Absolutely. But my son, my fifteen year old, we've been starting to talk about what he wants to do when he's older, and he said, I want to be an accountant and I I just said to him, Jacob, why? I don't think I've ever seen you look at a spreadsheet or you don't have a bank account. Well, that he can access. So you've never had to figure out how much money is going in, how much money is going out. I was like, is that really what you see yourself doing for 30, 40 years? He's like, well, I'll make money. I was like, so what? Mm, So there we go yeah, his dad and I are divorced. I said, I would rather that you don't go to college right away and that you go explore the world than decide that that's what you want to do just because you want to make money doing it.
1: Well, and that hits on something really, really common, right? Which was a lot of entrepreneurs, even anybody in corporate, let's just say everybody. What happens is, is when we're being raised and we're being socialized, we have rules that are put on us, right? There's certain expectations of behavior. As you grow up, they become different for male and female. And as a woman, you know there's things that we have to overcome because we were told that that's not right for a woman. But we know that that actually is fair for a woman to be able to do that—to be a boss, to be able to own her business and drive forward and be to stand in her masculine if she wants to. But a lot of times. And I don't. I try to do not to do it with my kids. But I saw how my mom said, "If you want to, the success equals lawyer, doctor, accountant, right? These are the safe or
0: marry one
1: or marry one, right? Or get mm-hmm. married and be and to someone who's rich, right? Yeah. But these were the safe." choices, right? These were the things that were going to be successful. And anytime we deviated from that, there's this dissonance that happens in our bodies, right? This chaotic vibration that's created because we're not doing what's safe. We're not doing what's expected. And so we start beating ourselves up and then we create this unhealthy relationship with ourselves. And I love that you called it out early and had that conversation with your son, because what's the real reason, like digging down deep and being like, oh man, no, it's not about money. It's about your How you decide to live your life, not what you're just doing with it to pass it by.
0: Yeah. Well, his true dream is to be a Major League Baseball umpire. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So he's been umping since he was 11 in junior baseball. And the kid makes $18 a game now. Oh for God. like an hour and a half to two yeah. hours, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's more than minimum wage here in Ohio at the local McDonald's, right? Right. So it's not all year round, but that's awesome. So we're trying to find how to get him into that path. Yeah. But a couple weeks ago, I'm, I'm going to just touch upon kids in a roundabout way. A couple weeks ago, he got himself grounded because mm. he was paying more attention to his computer games than his homework. Mm-hmm. Thinking he could do it on a bus or do it in between classes and such. So he got himself grounded and he just had a really horrible attitude. So I handed him Joel Osteen's Think Better, Live Better. And I told mm-hmm. him, read this. So he read it at night and his attitude was still crap. I'm just going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. So I said, do you want to read it again tomorrow or should I give you another book? And he said, I'll take another book, please. So <laughs> I gave him Tony Robbins. It's not right in front of me and I always mess up the name awaken the giant within or yes. something. yeah yeah and he looks at it he's like you really want me to read this because it's like a thousand pages long i'm exaggerating <laughs> a little bit i was like yeah i think you have a lot to learn and then i started to share the story of tony robbins he had a rough childhood i wish my parents i don't think they had been exposed to tony robbins or anything similar even when no. i was growing up i don't know that they've been exposed even yet today but I wish that rather than taking me to the library and putting me in the young, young adult section mm. with like Judy Bloom, I know that's children, but that, yeah, I had been loaded up with personal development books as a teenager.
1: That this totally triggers me to remember a story that I read, which was th- there was this father and the son ended up being like a millionaire by the time he was like 16 or something like that. And what he ended up doing was instead of paying him for chores, he paid him for each personal development book that he read. That's amazing. And that was how he could earn money because it was doing chores in the house, right, was part of a, being a contributing member to the family, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about chores. The old school thought is chores builds character, it builds responsibility, blah, blah, blah. But what if we took that and spent it on its head and helped our children connect to their true power, to their authenticity, to their strengths way earlier on in their lives versus what we had to do, spending probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like I know I've spent well over $250,000 on my own education and personal development since high school, Mm -hmm. saving them all that time and money and frustration and really enable them to own their brilliance way earlier on and help them find their truth. My God, what kind of world would we live in if that was the kind of human beings we were raising?
0: Right. I know that I would not be where I am today. However, if that had been my path if Mm. I had read those books, and Mm -hmm. I feel mixed blessings about that. True, I wouldn't have met my husband because I wouldn't have gone through the struggles that I did that led me to meeting my husband.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: However, well, I would have gone through different struggles. I think that's something I need to remember. I was joking with a client last week. I want to be a millionaire. So blank, bad. I'm not going to put it out there just in case my nieces are listening. (laughs) But he's like, more money, more problems is how my, how my, client responded. And I was like, yeah, but more money equals different problems. So different struggles when you have that development. If you could go back, though, and hand yourself a whole stack of personal development books,
1: would you? Yeah, I think it could have. I mean, and from my own experiences and what I had to go through, it all happens on purpose. And it all happens In order for me to be able to show up in the way that will best serve my clients, right? And to make the impact that I know that I'm supposed to be. Like, for me, a legacy isn't something you leave behind, it's something that you actively live every day, right? Mm. So I think that things could have been different, but that I would still be having an impact, right? And would I change it? Yeah, probably. (laughs) But. I think that certain things in our lives happen for a reason, right? So meeting certain people, it doesn't matter what would have happened before or after. There's an intentionality. There's some kind of written contract or something out there that, you know, you have those soul connections with people and you're like, oh, my God, like, I know I know you, but I've never met you kind of thing. I just think that that's divine intervention, right, when you meet those people and that you're going to have the impact you're going to have no matter so long as you're taking the actions and you're staying in faith. So would I have given myself some books? Probably a couple of them would have helped. Could I have consumed that information in the kind of family that I grew up in? No, it wouldn't have landed. But what I can do is because I'm a different person than how I was raised, I'm creating a different kind of person with my daughters, right? Yes, yes. And so I think for them, it's not. I'm not going to give them essentialism, right, or the 12-week work year to my four-year-old, Right. But I can find empowering books that speak to her and as she grows up and starts showing interest in things, nurturing that interest versus squashing it and saying, no, you shouldn't do that, right? All of us know growing up, we had a certain interest and our parents said, no, that's like I wanted to be a mechanic at one point, wanted to go. And I was like, I was looking at internships to be a mechanic and all this other stuff because I thought it was really interesting and I thought it'd be a useful skill to have. And my mom said, absolutely not. A young lady doesn't do that, and done with that dream, right? Right. But there are things that I could have learned, and there's transferable skill sets, right? That any kind of opportunity provides. It's just a matter of how you decide to look at it. Is it an opportunity, or is it something like if I said, "Hey, I want to go get a skydiving internship," or you know, let's let's question that maybe, but. There's certain things that can be nurtured and, you know, every situation is different and you have to call it as a mom and do your best. At the end of the day, we're just trying to be the world's okayest moms, right? We don't need the gold standards, but we don't want to be the worst ones.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Mine woke up this morning and the first thing that they asked was, where's my tablet? Is it charged? Uh,
1: Mine's starting to get that way too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then when they weren't charged, can I have your phone? Where's your Mm -hmm. phone? I'm like, oh. I am still in bed, 7 o'clock. I love being an entrepreneur that I don't need to be at work at 7.30. Every job I ever had, had flex hours and I took Mm -hmm. part in them. So 7.30 to 4.30. But yeah, I'm like, mama's sleeping. If you can find my phone, you, (laughs) you can play or you can watch YouTube Kids. So what did they do? They went and found it and then they climbed into bed between my husband and I and they turned up the volume. And so we hear those songs. So that makes me
1: an okay mom. Okayest mom. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, that was a big, like, it was awesome off-topic conversation because (laughs) I deviated or I took you off your journey. What is Action Incubator? Let's go back to you for a bit.
1: Sure. Action Incubator actually is the second version of my business because it's funny. People tend to compare themselves to people who aren't at their same level, right? So it's like me comparing myself to Tony Robbins now or me comparing myself to Mel Robbins, right? That is just setting myself up for failure. And what's happened is, is if you look at their progress, they've gone through iterations of their brand and who they are and who they serve. So Action Incubator is the current most evolved version of who I am and who I serve, which is high achieving, driven entrepreneurs who are done with overwhelm, who want to increase their impact and make more money because, hey, let's be real. We're not in this for charity work, right? We do want to get paid. And when we switch our money issues from, oh, it's not about the money to, oh my God, look how much money I'm making because I'm having this big of an impact. It really makes a difference because a lot of people that I work with want to do more good in the world.
0: I just want to give you a big kiss. Seriously. Oh, <laughs> I did not discover this whole mindset and way of working until July of 2016. Like mm-hmm. I can specifically tell you July of 2016. And immediately like step your fingers, my income skyrocketed because I wasn't concerned about the income anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I showed my husband I was like look what happened. He's like, is that a fluke? I mean, is that this month? <laughs> and then we and then we watch it for a couple months. And listeners, you've heard me talk about this in previous episodes. That doesn't mean it's always stayed up there. But the times when it's dropped is because I'm chasing income again.
1: Yep. And I've had it too. And the reason that it have that you can see it in other people is because you've either gone through it, are going through it, or have overcome it, right? And the same thing happened to me, which was I gotta go do this, I gotta go make these sales calls, I gotta go close these clients, I need to make sure I hit these two, three, four, five, six, seven clients this month so that I can hit this income goal. And it's all this push energy, right? Of do, 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 do. And I'm an action taker. So it is very hard for me to take a step back. And I realize that the more fun I have in my business business. business, the more money I make. I remember sending an
0: email to one of my mentors at the time and asking her, how did you make the shift from working all your time on your client work to actually Mm. taking time out to do the work that you were passionate about? And she's like, Well, I just started doing an hour or two a week. And at that point, I was no joke working between 80 and 100 hours a week on just client work. And I was absolutely miserable. I wasn't sleeping. And that's what led to my big decline where I hit rock bottom. And then it's when I realized the shift. But that's what's continually amazing me to this day is that I'm on the podcast. I'm recording podcasts eight to 10 hours a week now. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm passionate about it, but it's not hurting income. It's not driving income either, just to be totally honest. But it's making an impact, hopefully. Listeners, please go to the show notes and let us know how this (laughs) is
1: benefiting you. Show some love, right? Yeah, exactly. It takes a lot of effort to do all this. It does.
0: (laughs) But I expected to see like zeros in my bank account after removing myself from doing work constantly for clients. I didn't see how I could actually be working on my business instead of in my business as the, Mm. I just didn't see it. For those listeners who aren't familiar with high performance, I think that's the expression that you used. Yeah. Could you explain it? Because when I was introduced, I thought high performance was something completely different from what it actually is.
1: So different people have different spins on what they think it is. But for me, at least. High performance is making most of the time that you are spending in your business, in and on your business. So I am a firm believer in boundaries. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I want to spend time with them, right? I want to tickle them. I want to laugh with them. I want to throw them up in the air and huggle and tickle and all that. I love that. (laughs) Can I borrow that? Please. I love to huggle, right? So I huggle with my kids, right? They're my life force. So boundaries are really, really important. And I do other things too, right? Like I support other masterminds because people see like how amazing of a coach I am. And they're like, oh my God, I need to give you access to my clients so they can make more progress, right? Because a lot of masterminds have this accountability and goal setting that's completely missing. They kind of pass the buck on it. So what I help clients do is hyper focus on what are the money generating activities in their business because a lot of us spend time being busy in our business. So if you don't mind me using you as an example of a story you shared. No, please use it. <laughs> so before we, you know, started recording, you shared how you were in a lack place and it happens to all of us, totally pot kettle situation. Yeah. yeah. And you said, All right, to save money, I'm gonna work on my podcast and I'm gonna do all the editing myself. And then you looked back and you saw that you spent like 75, 80 hours, right, in the month. A month, yeah. That's two weeks of your working month. Yep. And if you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I spent all this time and I made no money, right, and your bank account was going down, 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 because you could have better spent that time on money jittering activities versus spending it on doing the editing yourself, where the editing you could have outsourced for $300 a month, but you were so stuck at that time. In the fact that you didn't have that money versus saying, okay, if I spend this $300, how am I going to use that as fuel to go and close two, three more clients to actually make $10,000 or 50000 I
0: could have written my book in those right. three months that I was spending yeah. editing. This was in 2017, listeners. The month and a half. Yeah. I could have written my book yeah. in that time.
1: I mean, I wrote my best selling book in two days. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a two-month-old and my two-year-old <laughs> and got it edited and sent off to the publishers in a total of two weeks and then hit bestseller status in a month. So you could have done it in way less time. Yep. But what we do is we get so stuck on what we have to do versus what we desire, what is actually going to make us money and being focused on that. So it's not about improving our weaknesses, but completely leveraging our strengths And people forget that because we've been socialized to improve our weaknesses so that we conform better. But if you stand in your power and you stand in how you show up in the world and completely own that, guess what? That's attractive to other people because they want more of that. So really embracing that, focusing on those money-generating activities, looking at your business and saying, hey, how do you want to grow? Well, How do you want to show up in the world? Because there's lots of different ways. And what I see a lot of people doing is leveraging strategies that aren't right for their business and their business stage. Amen. Yes. And you see it all the time. It's this guerrilla marketing of use my one strategy to make a million dollars in the next 24 hours. And it's just like, dude, you've got 50,000 people on your list. You've got membership and that person who has nobody on their list or who's, you know, making two or three thousand dollars a month, who's not necessarily creating consistent income where they're having 10, 20 K consistent months. That is not the strategy for them. And people don't get that. So it's really honing in on what's going to work for you and then tweaking it so that it not only is working for you, but working for your business and making you money. If you could have done it, you would have done it. You got to hire out for that and invest in yourself. I signed up for a webinar course. I'm just going to
0: say the name because it's a great course, in my opinion Amy Porterfield's Webinars That Convert. I signed up for it in 2015 because the guarantee that you're going to have a five-figure webinar. The problem was, I hadn't had the business coaching and the personal and professional development to even know what I was going to sell
1: yet. Mm. Yeah.
0: So here goes all this money out the door to learn how to create a webinar for a product I haven't even thought about or developed or put any
1: research into.
0: To oh my this god! Day, I've had webinars, but
1: they haven't converted. They haven't converted. No, not at all. It comes down to this: no offer, no business. Yep. Guys, if I can leave you with only one piece of advice, it's this. If you want a scalable, successful business, you have to create repeat success for clients. That means you have one offer that you create multiple results for over and over and over again. Then you can leverage a group model. And then once you create repeat success for groups, you can create a DIY version of it. Now, here's the thing. If you're someone like me and like you, Kim, who are focused on actually getting results for clients, DIY is probably not what's going to help you get repeat buyers. Repeat buyers are people who get results from your business. So that means you have to make sure that you're holding them accountable and that you're providing the support system and mechanisms are in place to help them get results. That's why I love small groups, because it's like a mini mastermind. And that's why I work with my clients in 90 day increments, because who has time to wait for a year for results? (laughs) Right. And so that's that high performance is no, man, it's not about getting results in a year. It's about getting results now. So my clients start selling right away from day one. After we figure out what their offer is, it's go out and sell. Here are the tools. Here are the scripts. Here are the how to handle objections. It's all about accelerating the sale because You're not going to have that happen consistently until you practice it. Mm -hmm. What
0: surprised me in the last week is the number of people who don't know what a funnel is. They don't know how to bring people to them. They don't know even what the entry level free offer is. Right. Or that they can build a list. Yeah. In in 2015, I was trapped, for lack of a better word, in the Facebook scroll, Mm -hmm. just scrolling 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 waiting for an opportunity to pop up and then i would get like you said before you know we're looking at the people who are way like 18 gazillion steps beyond where we are right now wondering why we're not there yet well part of the reason why we're not there yet is because we're scrolling on facebook looking for the next opportunity i was a member of 180 facebook groups
1: oh my god yeah
0: I'm still a member of 20 to 25 now because I'm managing or helping manage those groups. Yep. Other ones are for kids activities. But I can tell you that the ones I actually check on for business are less than 10. And it's not even for business. It's just to stay connected to people that I've been at events and with. I and I bet such. that
1: even then, if you scroll it down, I mean, narrow it down, there's probably only three to four, maybe even five at most that are really the ones that your go-to ones. Two, so, Two. There we go. Perfect. Yep.
0: And I'll have Facebook messages waiting in my inbox forever. Listeners, don't Facebook message me. because I've, t- <laughs> I've turned notifications off for everybody but my husband because he will not text me. He will. I don't know what the block is. I think he's confused. I love him dearly, but he will not send me a text message. He will only Facebook message me <laughs> and my son the one who is of Facebook age, those are the only two I have Facebook messages or notifications turned on for. I don't know how you feel about this, but for a lot of us, our ideal client is not waiting to find you on Facebook.
1: So the only place I agree, and there's a way for you to create a treasure trove of ideal clients, and that is creating your own Facebook group, but it requires effort and it requires nurturing. People aren't going to buy from you if they don't know you and don't know who you are and what you're about and the kind of results you get.
0: Okay. So I'm going to ask you to lesson two coaching session here. Sure. So consider me Mm -hmm. for a moment. I have my podcast Mm -hmm. and I also have a positive productivity Facebook group that I have to admit has been sorely neglected. Mm -hmm. That is not one of the two groups Mm -hmm. that I am in. I mean, sorry to any of the listeners who are part of the group. Mm -hmm. I may visit it once a month so you just said that our ideal clients want to connect with us so for somebody like me where i have the group but i also have the podcast what would you recommend
1: so this is where we get into content strategy you have a ton of content in terms of podcasts that you've created and you've already recorded and what's easy is is taking that podcast and then basically you could highlight some tips And that could be an email sequence and say, okay, here are the top 10 strategies that over the last three years of podcasting uh, have been go to resources for me. I would say that posting the podcast in the group is another way of doing it. So you're going to have you do these weekly, right? No, I actually do them daily. daily. So you post them daily, girl, post Mm -hmm. them in the Facebook group and then show up live at least once a week and do some kind of training. The training is very specific on a problem that your ideal client has. So here's a really easy kind of exercise. Think about all the problems that your ideal client faces. So you just kind of list them out, list them out, list them out. Now what you do is you flip that on its head and create a topic to teach on that provides them insight on that problem. Yeah. So let's say I'll use myself an example of how to confidently charge high dollar for your offers. What my client's problem is, is they don't necessarily have the confidence or the credibility. They feel they don't have the confidence or the credibility to charge high dollar ticket So five, seven, ten thousand dollars for their programs. And that's actually what I help my clients create is their five thousand and up dollar offers so that they can do more in less time. What I showed them was how they could increase their credibility factors. So how do they show their perceived value? Because when a client gets on the phone with you, they have a certain value that they have in their mind as to what your worth is. And then you have a certain value. And if those don't match up, there's no sale.
0: Right. And I want to point out there, if you undervalue and underquote yourself. Mm -hmm you can lose a sale just as easily.
1: Absolutely. That's what I see happen 90% of the time is that the reason I see it is also because that's what I did. (laughs) I had a $497 offer that I turned into a $5,000 offer. And the $5,000 offer sells like hotcakes, but the $497 one was struggling and the content is 80% the same. Now, the difference is is they get access to me on a one-on-one basis. So that's there, but they get all of this stuff And they get to fast track it in 90 days and actually implement and get their ROI multiple times over. But you can take the same idea and change it and make some tweaks and then be able to add a comma to the price tag. Yes. And when you get those people on the call because you've nurtured them, right? So you want to keep that consistent engagement. So doing motivational posts. And here's the thing, when people are real, when you are authentic. That's the content that really gets engagement of like, hey, man, I just came from a huge crying fit. And this is what happened. People want to know that you're real and not this Facebook facade perfection.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's what drove me into my hole in 2016. Mm-hmm. Was seeing perfection all over. the No place. one wants that. <laughs> And I actually had sales calls with the people that I was looking at who were so perfect, but I never hired them Mm -hmm. because something just fell off.
1: Right. It doesn't feel real.
0: And I've actually unfollowed and unfriended all of them. Mm -hmm. But occasionally, I admit, occasionally I'll go Facebook spy and
1: all their posts are still the picture perfect ones. Right. I've done ones. I mean, I sometimes I go live and it's like 11 o'clock at night because I got inspired by something. You think I'm looking cute at 11 o'clock at night? I got like my mascara a little bit running. My hair is not as clean as it was in the morning kind of thing. But here's the thing. That's how we all look at 11 o'clock at night. I've actually cleaned my mascara while live, like been like licked my finger and like cleaned off the bottom of my eyelid. And I was like, well, that was cute. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And I didn't delete it. I just left it out there because that's what's real. I've done Facebook lives where so I have these silly shirts that I wear sometimes. And it was from a phase in my life where I thought it was really funny to have ironic shirts on and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. one time I did a Facebook live about the shirt that I was wearing because I didn't know what I was going to do it on. I just thought I was, you know, I was like, I feel a need to go live. And I went on and I was like, let me talk about my shirt. And I talked about and I showed it. Right. And I was like, here, you know, here's a nice little chest shot. And I made fun of it, but I played. And that's what people are missing in their Facebook group. I think that's my biggest recommendation is play, play with your business, play and have fun, because that's how you show up with your clients. So don't Put on this fake facade of being all perfect and great and wonderful because that's not relatable. Teach your people. Show them what you know, right? Show them that you're capable and you're not this one-trick pony. Share your podcasts. Share your highs. Share your lows. Ask them to share their highs and lows. And little by little, you'll start getting engagement and people will start wanting to this is a great way to get them ready to buy. And it is about that because you want to provide a certain level of service to them. So you're showing them what's possible and you're dropping nuggets. A great way to get a really big boost of engagement is doing like a five day challenge, solving a problem for your clients and then showing them that the next level problem is the solution is the offer that you're going to provide them.
0: Another big problem I see is people wait until they have all the pieces put together. Sorry,
1: I end my reaction sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I love it and by people, I'm pointing at myself here <laughs> I
1: Perfection paralysis. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I have a funnel in Infusionsoft that is not yet complete. And if I had waited, then it wouldn't have been out there. Listeners, you can go to my website right now, if it doesn't change before this episode goes out. And in the header on the homepage, you can get a free seven day PDF version of my planner, which will hopefully be out. This year, but it might be another year again. So I was going to wait to put this funnel out until the print version of the planner was available and until my membership site was all built out. If you're on my list, you got an email about the membership site six months ago. Mm-hmm. Positive productivity is not about perfection. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be done six months ago, but I'm so happy that I published the campaign and at least started getting people into the funnel because if I had waited, all those people would still be out there. Like they wouldn't have gotten the free version of the planner. Now, do I know where I'm taking those people now? I have absolutely no clue because our businesses are constantly evolving. I don't know if I'm going to do the membership site. I am going to do the planner someday, just like chronic idea disorder, the book, but <laughs> I have chronic idea disorder. So I don't even know what I'm eating for dinner tonight.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, much less and next being week. okay with that and saying, look, yeah. I'm just going to get what I can out right now and serve the clients that can get benefit from this. And as I get more clarity, as I evolve, then I will improve this. But if you stay hidden, you help no one. And that is not fair to the people out there who are searching for you. You are the solution to someone's problem. And the longer you stay hidden, the more disservice you're providing them.
0: I want to give one exception to everything that we just said. Sure. If you're not passionate about what you're waiting to put out
1: there, then don't put it out. Yeah. You've got to be resonant. You have to want to do this. Don't do something because someone said, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You have to be behind it. Like everything is mitigated by the fact that you need to be passionate about it.
0: If you could give listeners three steps to take today, mm-hmm. what would you tell them to do?
1: So get clear on your goal. What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? Reverse engineer that so that you have steps that are actionable and achievable. So If the step still feels overwhelming, that means it needs to break down even more and then start taking action in support of the goal.
0: Love it. Yeah. And when you're clear on your goal, I found out what works for me is to truly visualize
1: what that goal looks like, like what even
0: smells and tastes
1: like. Mm, Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. There's so many tools, tips and tricks to help you. And let's talk. I mean, let's call it what it is. This is manifesting. Yeah, it is. When you have a goal, that's called your intent. That's what you're wanting to manifest. The actions you're taking help you achieve that manifestation. And that's what people miss a lot of the time. It's like they skip that chapter in the book of like manifesting isn't sitting on your butt, (laughs) hoping and wishing and praying and and thinking good things. You actually have to take action to support the universe, God, source, whatever you want to call it, to bring that opportunity to you. Just like to win the lottery, you have to play, then you have to watch to see if you won, and then you got to go claim the winnings. Those are all actions in order to get the goal that you want to achieve. So making sure that you're taking that intentional action of, I want to achieve my goal, so I'm going to do this thing that I believe is going to support it. You may not be 100% confident, but the thing is, is that you believe that it's possible.
0: I'm getting struck by chronic idea disorder over here. I'll talk to you about it off the record. (laughs) Listeners, stay tuned. Kat, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Where can listeners find you online and connect and start taking action?
1: Sure. So I am super active in my Facebook group. So it's Profits and Purpose for solopreneurs who are ready to scale. And you can find me literally by just Googling Kat Stancic. But actionincubator.com is my website. If you want to be entertained... I suggest you go there because it's pretty badass.
0: <laughs> can I have that link? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure it's in the show notes, listener, but I'm I'm ready to be entertained. <laughs> Listeners, you can find all the links in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP392. Kat, I just want to thank you again. This has been a blast. I don't think I've ever Well, I mean, there's definitely been conversational episodes, but this has just taken it to a whole nother level. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Future guests, listen to this episode. (laughs) Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget
1: that you can offer to listeners? Yes. The most important thing that you can do is make sure that you align your belief in yourself and the expectations that you can achieve it.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast.